Grace and peace to you from him who was, and who is, and who is to come. My dear sisters and brothers in Christ, it never gets old wishing people Happy New Year in the beginning of December, just to see the looks on your faces when I said that at the beginning of the service. You have to think for a second because it doesn't make any sense because the new year doesn't start until January 1st. But here in God's house, in Christ's church, we begin a new year on this, the first Sunday in Advent, another year of God's grace. And what do you do when you start a new year? Well, you make New Year's resolutions. And I've never proposed this, but I wonder if we should do that as a church. So what should be Prince of Peace's New Church Year resolution? What should our church strive to be and do? I'm sure if we went around this morning, we could come up with a lot of different answers, but there's one word that always seems to be floating around churches when they ask themselves, and especially their members, this question, what do we want our church to be? And the buzzword, the answer, consistently now for a decade or more, comes back with relevance. We want our church to be relevant. I don't know how many times people have told me, well, we're, we're not coming to church anymore because it's not relevant to our lives. Or when I'm in a conversation with someone I'm just meeting and I share with them I'm a pastor at a church, one of the questions that inevitably comes up as well is, your church relevant? And, and I always want to ask a follow-up question and, and be like, what do you mean by that? But I know, and you probably do too, Typically when people say that, it refers to the language and the music and the style and the experience of your church reminds me and mimics the modern culture around it. Even more than that, though, they want to know if my church, our church, Prince of Peace, will address the pertinent matters of their lives. So, what are those pertinent matters? Well, will it help their marriage? Will it fix their kids? Will it stop their hurting? Will it answer all of life's biggest questions? In other words, will church make my life better? So, if that's our resolution, I gotta tell you, I don't know that we necessarily got off to the most relevant start today. For starters, I'm not even sure how Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey helps anyone's life get better. I mean, we're not even reading the story on the correct Sunday. That's the Palm Sunday story. That's supposed to kick off Holy Week, which isn't for another four months. But here we are, reading it on the first Sunday in Advent. 
And so maybe just a, a couple of words on the season of Advent are necessary here. The name, of course, Advent comes from the Latin word which means to come or to arrive. And so it's during this season that we think about and we consider the threefold coming of our Lord Jesus. That he came, that he still comes, and that he will come again. This is how Jesus is described in some of the opening words of the book of Revelation. Words that I typically use to greet you when I begin my sermon. I just said them. The one who is, and the one who was, and the one who is to come. In fact, we're going to see that throughout the season of Advent, this is going to be the word that every single gospel reading we hear revolves around. That the, that the season of Advent is all about this word to come. And in the next four weeks, we will see that word having a prominent role in each of our gospel readings. Today we heard it in verses 9 and 10. The people said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And so the season of Advent is all about the coming of Jesus. Which means that Advent is not about preparing for the birth of Jesus. As if we were somehow supposed to pretend that Jesus hasn't already been born. You know, if we got to do like these mental exercises to like get into some sort of Old Testament mindset. Otherwise, if that's what we do, then Christmas really becomes nothing more than just a reenactment of the birth of Jesus. And that makes about as much sense as your mother stuffing a pillow under her shirt and reenacting the labor pains of her delivery to celebrate your birthday every year. That is not what Advent should be, and it is not what Advent is. There is no pretending in the Lord's church. With the church here, with the liturgy, with our worship, Christ's church is real. Our sin is real. The forgiveness of our sins is real. And when we worship on Good Friday, we don't try to pretend that the resurrection never happened. And when we worship in Advent, we don't try to forget that Jesus was already born. So Advent is not a season of preparation for the birth of Jesus. It is a season to prepare for the celebration of the birth of Jesus and to celebrate all of the different ways that our Savior still comes to us. And if that's the case, then it isn't strange to have a text from Holy Week on the first Sunday in Advent, a text that is so closely connected to the suffering and death of Jesus because it reminds us that this is the very reason that he came. Suffer and die in our place. Advent is a season where we celebrate that the Lord continues to come to us right here and now in his preached word that is preached and heard and believed to deliver to us the gift of eternal life won for us 
through his life, death, and resurrection. It's a season where we prepare for Jesus who will come again in glory, as we just confessed, to judge the living and the dead. But this Sunday isn't just the first Sunday in Advent, the first Sunday in a new season. It's the first Sunday of the entire church year. Which means that a text like this of our Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem also stands as a banner text for everything that will follow throughout the rest of the year. The words today in our scripture reading sort of serve to me like if you go and visit some of those smaller towns or cities, you see those giant banners that hang over Main Street downtown. And they say something like, Welcome to Encinitas, California, the city where summer never ends. Or when you cross the state line and you see that sign, Welcome to California. It's a sign, it's a banner that tells you everything that will follow. So it is with the triumphal entry of our Lord into Jerusalem. It tells us what happens every time we gather here throughout the year. Every time we gather in the Lord's house under the Lord's name in the divine service, this text, these words, this story, Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey is an indication of everything that follows. So what follows? What happens here week after week? Our Lord comes to us as our humble King and Savior with all of the gifts that he won on his cross. This is why, by the way, we sing those same words the people were shouting at Jesus that first Palm Sunday. We sing those words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. We sing those words every single week, right before I speak the words of institution over the Lord's Supper. Because this altar, this font, and this pulpit are the places where your Lord comes to you with his name, with his gifts, namely with the forgiveness of all of your sins and all the blessings of heaven. I would love to hang the words on the outside of church over those entry doors there in the back, the words of the prophet Zechariah. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. I don't know, maybe then we would remember just how awesome it is to be here every week. That the Lord of all comes here to 3415 Herbs Road in Thousand Oaks, California, just to be with us and to freely give us all the gifts of his kingdom. This Palm Sunday account, really the whole season of Advent then, teaches us that Christianity is different from every other religion that has ever or will ever exist. And yet, how hard we try to make it indistinguishable. This is part of the reason why we want our church to be relevant, 
Because really, we just want God to give us a little help here and there. Help me to try and do better. Help me to try and be a little better. We convince ourselves that that's really all we need to get over the spiritual hump. Every creed and every other worship and religion out there talks about helping people to ascend up to some God or to some higher good. Every false doctrine is about what we must do or think or experience to reach that goal. Here's the ladder to heaven, now all you need to do is start climbing. We want to earn or deserve heaven, earn or deserve God's love or approval, seek to find the way to perfection, and it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Muslim or Hindu or atheist or pagan or Gnostic or plain old-fashioned nothing. It's all a matter of do-it-yourself religion. And this is not an opportunity for us to get all pompous and think that we are better than any of those people. Because that religion doesn't just exist out there, it exists in here. Because this false doctrine, dear saints, is our native religion. It is stitched into our very own flesh. We want to impress God too. We want to earn his approval. We want to pay back his goodness. God, we just need a little help. We just need a little nudge, a little guidance to start heading in the right direction. And you can see why that kind of approach, why that kind of religion would appeal to the masses. Because then we can convince ourselves that the reason we're Christians is because we have tried harder. Because we have prayed more because we have fasted longer and served more. No. Our worship and faith is not a matter of our climbing up to God, reaching into heaven. The true faith that brings life and salvation and the comfort of God's promises is this. Your God comes down to you. He marched into your midst. He marches into your homes and into your church and into your hearts and to your ears. He comes by his word and water and bread and wine. He comes with his promises and gifts. He comes not just to give you a little help. He comes to rescue you entirely. This is the difference. Between Moses killing the slave master, master to rescue his brother, and Moses standing still as God splits the Red Sea. It's the difference between the prodigal son groveling and begging his father for a servant's place in his house, and the father running down the road before he even got there just to wrap his mercy-filled arms around his son, welcoming him with an undeserved ring and, and robe and feast of a fattened calf. It's the difference of a lost sheep fruitlessly searching for home and the shepherd trudging through it all to find the lost sheep. It's the difference between the law and the gospel. We do not find God. We do not come to God. God finds us. He comes to us.
St. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 10. The righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word and faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Brothers and sisters, I ask you, what in the world could possibly be more relevant than that? Is your marriage struggling? Look to the heavenly bridegroom, who has eternally pledged himself to you, promised to remain faithful to you, despite your imperfect love for and your lack of trust in him. And then remember that above every other human relationship, Jesus Christ elevates this relationship of husband and wife to be the human relationship that most beautifully encapsulates and pictures his relationship with you, his bride, the church. And you know what that means? That means that until he comes back in the flesh, that the closest you will ever get to the physical beauty and presence of Jesus is the love and companionship and affection of your spouse. Are you concerned about your kids? Good. So is Jesus. Do you love your kids? Good. Jesus loves them even more. So keep putting Jesus into their little ears and their little hearts. Keep bringing them here. Keep giving them Jesus around your dinner table and as they lie down to go to sleep, not just because it's your Christian parental duty, but because you love them enough to give them the one who went to hell and back to rescue them forever. Are you hurting? Jesus knows. He knows not just that you are hurting. He knows what it feels like. He knows what it is to hurt because he came and suffered it all. The physical pain, the whips, the nails, the crown of thorns, the emotional pain, the rejection and the betrayal of those closest to him, the spiritual pain, the loneliness and the despair, and he knows the pain that encapsulates them all. The pain that only death can bring. The pain of loss and defeat and emptiness suffered it all. He suffered it all for you so that he could empty its power to crush you. He suffered it all for you so that one day soon all of it would be undone and forgotten forever. You want the answers to all of life's biggest questions? Well, 
Here's one where I'm going to tell you, you're just going to have to get comfortable with God not giving them all to you. But you know what? Things like philosophy and science, they don't give you all of the answers either. Meaning that it doesn't serve any purpose to walk away from God because he won't give you an answer, an answer that no one else can or will. But it does work in reverse. There are answers that he alone can and does give that no one else can or will. Who are you? Why are you here? What's your purpose? Where do you stand with your creator? And most importantly, to know that you are so deeply loved and valued and cherished by your God that he came for you in the flesh to remove your guilt and redeem you body and soul forever. Friends, if knowing all of that does not make your life better, does not make your life more comforting, more encouraging, more enlivening, I don't know what else will. Your Savior comes to you. He came for you. He still comes to you. And he will come again in glory to take you to be with him forever and ever. So today we rejoice in the triumphal entry of our Lord into Jerusalem and for everything that it means to us today and moving forward. He continues to come in humility with his grace and mercy for you to rescue and deliver you and me from our sin and death and to give us the forgiveness of sins. This is our joy. This is our hope in Advent, Christmas, Lent, and Easter. Our sure hope in health and in sickness, in joy and in sadness. Our sure hope in life and in death and even into eternal life. See, the gospel is always relevant because Jesus is always relevant. See, your king comes. Rejoice, your king comes to you. Be of good cheer, your king comes full of righteousness. And having salvation, your salvation, to God be all glory, honor, and praise.